All right, that's Isaiah 46, if you'd uh, turn there or navigate there so that you can follow along. The topic there, while impotent idols weigh down their followers, Jesus relieves our burdens by carrying us from womb to tomb. The title of the message, You'll Never Be God's Beast of Burden. Let's pray. Father, this morning we appreciate, as always, your word. More so, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is our teacher even more so, Lord, that you promised you would be here walking in the midst of your church. And so, Lord, we quiet our hearts, we submit to you, we want to receive, Lord, between the soul and the spirit where only you can communicate. Talk to us about your love and your grace, about our lives lived for you, about your coming, Lord, for us. Excite us and bless us, Lord, we pray. And together we pray in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said, amen. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each I noticed footprints in the sand. True story. At times there were two sets of footprints. Other times there was only one. Curious to know why, I asked the Lord. The Lord replied, the times when you have seen only one set of footprints, Gene, that's when I carried you. The times when you have seen two sets of footprints, Eugene, you insisted I put you down so that you could go your own way in your own strength. Is that how it goes? The plaque on your wall? How many of you know what I'm talking about at all? Let's, let's get into that. Okay, thank you very much. I have to worry about these things now. My wife is always telling me, no one knows what you're talking about. God knows, and that's enough for me. But anyway... So that's not the way it goes, but maybe it should be, because in the original composition, there's no concern when there were two sets of footprints. They're only there to make the point that there are times the Lord must carry you. Turns out, those times are all the time. God says so in verses 3 and 4 of our text. He says, listen to me, house of Jacob and the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld from me by birth, uh, or by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb even to your old age. I am he, and even to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and deliver you. Upheld, carry, carried, bear from the womb to old age. The Lord carries us through our entire life, or at least he says he wants to. I'll organize my comments around two points. The world is out to crush you, and number two, the Lord is here to carry you. Let's take a look at the world. Now, when we use the term world or the world, we mean the fallen condition of God's special creation that now exists on account of Adam and Eve disobeying the Lord in the beginning. Satan has installed an antagonistic, chaotic system. He is an egomaniacal, uh, maniacal rather, let's do that again. He's an egomaniacal, sadistic liar and murderer. It's no wonder the state of things with him as the temporary ruler of this world, right? People say, well, look around. What's what's happening in the world today? Why doesn't God, or is there a God, or where is God? Well, God would say, graciously, he said, I want you to see this person over here. He's red with horns, and he's got a really weird tail. No, actually, the devil's a beautiful angel. He says, I want you to look over here. This was your choice. What do you mean, Lord? Your parents, Adam and Eve, chose to believe the devil and to disobey me. And so the world you see is by choosing this fella 
who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning uh, and thinks only of himself and of destruct, uh, destroying others. Uh, and, and by the way, I've been working since the Garden of Eden, the Lord would remind us, to make things right. I promise you at that moment, I promise your parents at that moment that I would deal with it, that I would come myself and deal with it, and I did. My son, Jesus Christ, has been here. He died and rose from the dead, and we're on the other side of that, counting down towards uh, the great tribulation. And, and so, uh, yeah, the world is a messed up place because of the choice of the human race to put their trust in this malevolent being. Satan's psychologies, philosophies, politics, his religions, they're all lies. They blind you from seeing your need for a savior who takes the burden of sin upon himself so that you can be forgiven and live in heaven. I have a bachelor's degree in psychology from the prestigious UC campus in Riverside. I've asked forgiveness often. It's before I was a Christian. The psych department focused on comparative psychology. That means we studied animals to try to understand human behavior. Why would we do that? It's the evolutionary approach. Since we evolved from monkeys, why don't we take a look at some monkeys? They had, or maybe still have, a colony of macaque monkeys. One assignment was to sit all day taking notes, observing the behavior of macaque monkeys. I can tell you right now that their number one behavior is grooming each other and eating fleas. As far as comparative psychology goes, that didn't help me on any dates. Excuse me, a little fly on there, let's, uh, you know. Meanwhile, while I'm confessing, I also have a bachelor's degree in philosophy. Man, I was a smart kid. I don't know what happened. Existentialism was all the rage at UCR. Here is all you need to know about that. At the graduate level, they urge you not to commit suicide. I kid you not. Existentialism poses an existential threat to your life. Meanwhile, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Don't make the mistake of thinking that a godless person with a worldly education in some discipline has more wisdom than even a new believer in Jesus Christ, not when a soul is involved. I'm not saying you, you don't have to go to school to be certain things like an engineer. You know, I don't want to go over a bridge and say, who was this engineered by? This guy who just got saved. Obviously, there are things for us to learn, but when you cross over into what is man What's wrong with man? How do we deal with the soul? Is there a soul? Those kinds of things. You're totally out of your element unless you're a Christian. Follow the believer. Who's going to heaven, for example? You talk about wisdom. The, the, you know, the man who was born blind in the scriptures, the religious leaders who were super intelligent kept quizzing him, and he goes, look, I don't know anything except that I was blind a minute ago, and now I see. And Jesus did that. And, of course, they kicked him out of the synagogue and disowned him because they didn't want to hear that. Verse 1, bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. Bell and Nebo were the father and son god team of Babylon. Their idols rode on carts that beasts of burden hauled with some difficulty because of their weight. 
Rather than lifting the burdens, these idols created them for their worshipers. Could there be a better image of what idolatry is? A weighed down beast of burden is a perfect visual because that's what you are when you follow idols. Now, there's no single agreed upon biblical definition of idolatry. We define idols as images, uh, idols or images or God substitutes. It's helpful in discussing and determining idolatry to remember, too, the biblical statement that covetousness is idolatry. And so anytime we covet anything or anyone, that is a form of idolatry because we want something God hasn't given us or allowed us to have. We want something instead of God that substitutes for God, and so that becomes idolatry. Harry Ironside said, Christ is a substitute for everything. Nothing is a substitute for Christ. Regarding religion, Jesus said, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. This is always the case when something satanic is in place, whether it's a philosophy or a psychology or a religion, is that those who are in charge do not relieve your burdens, they add extra burdens to you. There are more things that you must do, hoops that you must run through and jump through to figure out whether or not you're saved and, and that kind of a thing. Uh, sadly, sometimes Christian churches do this, solid churches, solid Christians, not cults, but we, we have a tendency to use the methods of the world sometimes, and that involves uh, manipulation or putting pressure on people. Um, it's, it's not right. It's not good uh, because God doesn't do that to us. We want to come across a, a, with the gentle spirit that he has. Verse 2, they stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden but have themselves gone into captivity. Isaiah is describing the near future of the southern kingdom of Judah. The Jews would be conquered by Babylon and taken there, held captive there. Babylon's so-called gods would figuratively bow down together when King Cyrus of Medo-Persia conquered them. It's kind of like, remember those cartoons, the fish eats the next fish and the bigger fish and all that, you know? And so you've got Assyria, then Babylon comes and destroys Assyria, then Medo-Persia comes and takes over. Skip to verse 5 for a moment. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on their shoulder. They carry it and set it in its place and it stands. From its place it shall not move. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. We immediately agree that idols and images are powerless. I seriously doubt if anyone here is literally worshiping an object, uh, like a little tiki doll or something like that. You know, you, if I came to your house, you'd say, oh, here's my God. Uh, nobody's doing that. But however, covetousness, that's something that is pervasive because it's hidden in the heart and it festers in our hearts where it eventually becomes septic. And so we need to have a good, hard look at our hearts with the Lord leading and shining his light to say, hey, Lord, what do I covet? Not am I covetous, because I still have the vestiges of my human nature in this unredeemed body. The question always is, 
what am I coveting? Who am I coveting? What is creeping in to my thinking that is taking your place as a substitute? Verse 8, remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors. Has God done things for you? Of course he has. He says, remember them, recall them. The church at Ephesus, the, the Lord said, you have left your first love. Remember where you were before. And so if you're a Christian, God's done a marvelous work for you, right? He saved you. That's a big work. That's a big belief, right? To just believe one moment that you can be forgiven your sins and saved by Jesus Christ and on your way to heaven. That's a lot. And yet you believe that and it was accounted unto you as righteousness. And, and so the Lord here says through Isaiah, says, believe, remember, then act like a Christian. Singer Johnny Fontaine went to his godfather for help. He started to sob saying he didn't know what to do. What am I gonna do, godfather? Godfather got up and grabbed him by the hands and he said, you can act like a man. And then he slapped him across the face and he says, what's the matter with you? I like that. <laughs> not the slap. I mean, we're talking spiritual slapping here, not real slapping, but I like that. I think Paul the Apostle would do that, don't you? If I came to church, let's say I'm in the church at Corinth because they had a lot of problems. Hey, you know, Gene, what's going on? Well, you know, my, you know, it's happening and I, my, we might have to pay more for water next year and, you know. I think Paul would come up and say, what's the matter with you? Man, started to beat you. I just rose from the dead a few days ago. You know, I, look at me. You know, there's those scenes in some movies where the guy takes off his shirt and it's, oh my, he's, that guy's been tortured, you know, Jack Bauer, because they had him in China for a while, right? Jack Bauer's a real guy, right? Never mind. Jack Bauer, Jack Reacher, Jack, uh, they're all named Jack, right? Who's the guy in, uh, uh, you know, the other guy, Jack Ryan. Anyway, I'm way off now. But, you know, and so, and so, you know, sometimes we just whine and complain, right? I do. I'll, I'll put myself in that category. What's the matter with us? We all have some of Johnny Fontaine in us and can benefit from a spiritual slap in the face. Verse 9, remember the former things of old? I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I'll do all my pleasure. Several times in the last few chapters, the Lord reminded his chosen nation that he alone can, with 100% accuracy, predict the future. Not only that, but his counsel, in this case, his plan, will succeed. He, it, it cannot get off track. He, by providence, provides for it. Now, we use the phrase, it was my pleasure, when we thank God for saving us, he lets us know it was his pleasure to do so. It adds an element of emotion. Sometimes I think, especially um, in, a, in a, you know, more of an analytical society, you know, where everything is, is linear and all, uh, it's not mystical, uh, like the United States, we, we study and we study and we think we know God, but until we have entered into more of a personal relationship with God, we just don't. We need to remember that God is emotional, has made us in his image. Now, we, we don't want to play on people's emotions or, you know, uh, have these phony emotional things go on. Uh, but, man, when you get saved, it should be, I mean, you don't have to cry. Everybody's different, but something happens. I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? 
You go from light of darkness to light, from death to life, that's exciting. It isn't just, yeah, okay, what, ha- what did I do today? I went from death to life. Like, oh, what's on TV? You know, I mean, you want to spend time with the Lord. You're in love with the Lord. You have a new love language and all of that kind of thing. And so we, yes, stay analytical, stay skeptical, read the Bible, be a good Berean, obviously, but in them you find God, you seek God. You'll never, you know, God will never ask you to do something or be something or, you know, that's not in his word, but sometimes we just need to be a little bit more emotional, I think. Verse 11, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I'll do it. He's talking about King Cyrus. He was the bird of prey from the east. Cyrus would help the Jews return to Jerusalem to rebuild its walls and the temple. He would serve the Lord. Now, remember, we saw a lot about Cyrus in our last study. Isaiah is mentioning Cyrus 150 years before he was king of Medo-Persia, probably before he was even born. His name is in Scripture. God has just said, hey, I predict the future, and he, he was when it came to Cyrus. Now, Cyrus was never saved, at least we're not told he was. All are more surprised at God using him, using the unbeliever to further his purposes. And so there's nothing God won't work with or do to help his people, to help you. You could apply this to your situation at work or uh, in the military or something that's troubling you. Uh, you know, and you know, God can turn the hearts of even non-believers. And so if he's not doing that, then you're there for some other reason. And so if you've, if you've got something terrible going on at work tomorrow and it's still going on tomorrow, you say, well, Lord, you haven't chosen to change this situation or to get me out of it, so I need to figure out why I'm in it, what you're trying to tell me. Verse 12, listen to me, you stubborn-hearted who are afar from righteousness. I bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger and I place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. All of their drama with Assyria and Babylon and Persia would not hinder the plan of redemption. God would bring his righteousness near. Now, righteousness was near when Jesus was here because the apostle John said that his hands, their hands, the apostles' hands had handled the Lord. In other words, they could touch Jesus, and he is our righteousness. Jesus' sacrifice of himself makes it possible for God to declare his people righteous. The Lord takes upon himself the sins of the world. Those who believe have their sins exchanged for his righteousness and uh, represented in Scripture by him giving them a white robe. And so when the Lord, the Father in heaven, sees you, he sees Jesus because you believe Jesus and you are one in him. And so his righteousness is actually near ever since the Garden of Eden when he promised that he would come and fulfill that promise. Uh, But it was especially near when he was on the earth because you could actually, it was the culmination of everything God had promised, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Someone has insightfully said, there are two kinds of gods in this world, the kind you carry and the one who can carry you. If you're burdened, I mean this respectfully, it's not from the Lord. He wants to carry it by carrying you. What we're learning here from this text, this important text this morning, uh, you know, obviously we need to 
see everything and how it fits together in God's word, but the Lord is outright telling Jacob, and I think it's applicable to any believer, I want to carry you. I carry you. One set of footprints, and that's me carrying you. The Lord is here to carry you. Let's look back at verses three and four now. Children are carried in the womb, miraculously protected and provided for. They are carried for some time after because their crawling is not very fast, and so we carry them. The Lord portrays himself carrying his children all their days, including adulthood and on into old age. And so verse 3, he says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb. The imagery of Jesus constantly carrying me suggests an effortlessness on my part. I add nothing except that I, by faith, must believe he doesn't leave me or forsake me. And so Jesus says, I'm going to carry you all of your life, spiritually speaking, but he uses this physical illustration of carrying a person. And he says, I'm going to do it all of your life, and I'm never going to put you down. And all I have to do is believe that that he will never leave me or forsake me, and I will trust in every situation that he brings me through. I want to modernize this idea of being carried and say I'm in a wheelchair that the Lord is pushing. That makes more sense, doesn't it, from our point of view? I mean, to think of Jesus carrying, you know, hey, are you back there, Lord? You know, and so, but in a wheelchair, I can understand that. Same, same deal. But right away, we understand that he is setting the pace and choosing the direction. I'm essentially doing nothing in the wheelchair. If those of you who've had occasion to push a wheelchair for extended periods of time for a loved one or whatnot, you know what I'm talking about. You do all the work, and the person in the chair is the beneficiary of all of that. They're in the chair for a reason, obviously, but they're not burdened at that time. So why would you bail out of a situation like that uh, you know, and have two sets of footprints in the sand? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First, because the Lord pushes my wheelchair like it's Mr. Toad's wild ride. I mean, it, it, he's, he, the Lord has what we could call opposite thinking, right? He tells us to rejoice in trials. He says weakness is strength. If you humble yourself, that's how you get exalted. You're expected to take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. And so there's all of these opposites that we need to learn and recognize now that we're Christians. We need to completely reverse the way we understand about the world, and it can be pretty wild. Every step in the life of Jesus on earth was a mind-boggling opposite of what was expected. Born of a virgin in Bethlehem, from Nazareth. Now, none of that has, obviously the Old Testament predicted that, but none of that had, had, makes any sense to us as human beings. If you're gonna bring the king of the universe into the, you know, the, the Holy Land, then uh, you're gonna do it where? At Jerusalem, surrounded by angels. I mean, it's gonna be a big deal. I says, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it another way because I have lessons to teach. He learned obedience for the first 30 years of his life on earth. 30 years of not, we would say doing nothing. He wasn't. He was doing important things. But 
obscurely learning obedience, and then put to death because the cross had to come before the crown. It's all weirdly wonderful. And so we don't like this, you know, at first because it's a wild ride. And then secondly, I want to leave footprints in the sand. No one wants to be carried by or confined to a wheelchair. I've been around a lot of wheelchair folks over the years, a lot of handy people who are going into illnesses and all. And without question, no one wants to surrender to a wheelchair. Because once you do, it's like, it's a, you feel like you're never going to go back from that. There's, you know, until you do, there's always hope that maybe, but it's like, okay, I'll sit in the chair and I'll let you push me. You know, we, we used to go to Disneyland a lot and uh, people say, oh, it must be so cool being in the wheelchair so that you can get on the rides. No, it's not. It's the worst thing in the world, you know, to be pushing the wheelchair. There's a lot of weird stuff that goes on, but the person in the chair, they're not burdened, uh, and, and so that's great. Uh, now, I want to leave footprints in the sand. God's strength being revealed in my weakness is poetic on the pages of Scripture, but in my own life, not so much. And so verse 4, even to your old age, I am he, and even to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. Now, the very fact we age to gray hair and die reminds us something's fundamentally wrong with the universe. God's plan to send Jesus rights all wrongs, and he's been victorious, but we're not seeing the total result of it, not yet. So I'm in my wheelchair trusting Jesus when all of a sudden what we call a burden gets dumped in my lap. Maybe, as with me, it's a disease diagnosis that you didn't ask for. It's almost, some, almost stuff that you didn't ask for, right? Unless you ask for patience. <laughs> Did you ever pray for patience? Tribulation works patience, so just be careful with that one. You might as well just go right to the subject. Say, Lord, give me some tribulation so I can have patience. But I wouldn't recommend it. It's coming anyway, so you don't need to pray for it. But, uh, so, you know, you never... I, you don't wake up in the morning and say... You know, what would be a great degenerative disease for me? Can, can we talk, Lord? I've really had it on my heart to ask, you know, I just, I'd like to have a 16-year life expectancy. Can we get something in that ballpark, you know? I mean, nobody does that. Nobody wants that. But essentially, nothing has changed in your wheelchair. Jesus is still handling the entire load and setting the direction. Betting back to Disneyland... You see these people in wheelchairs at Disneyland? It's insanely funny. They've got grandkids all over them. You know, it's usually an older grandpa or grandma, and all their grandkids are piled on them. They're on their head. They're, you know, sitting on their lap and stuff. And then the wheelchair is all lined with bags of purchases, you know? <laughs> these bags are hanging off of the, and stuff. And then every, there's a little, like, grate in the back, a little basket that's got their lunch for the last five days, you know? And, baby things and, and all this. And everybody's, you know, got everything in the wheelchair. If, it's crazy. But again, the person in the chair, it doesn't really affect them. They might be a little bit uncomfortable with some of the kids on their knees, but it's no big deal. It's a big deal for the one pushing the wheelchair. None of that weighs them down. It's added weight for the one pushing. And so listen, uh, if the one pushing is Jesus, it's 
smooth sailing for you and you just let him go. And so I guess all I'm saying today right now is all you have to believe is that the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. And that's how these burdens roll back onto him. And you say, well, Lord, if you want me to bear this, uh, I'm going to feel just the same as I did yesterday. Only, as we'll see in a minute, I'm going to have a little bit of a deeper knowledge of your love for me. James begins his New Testament letter right into verse 2. I mean, can you, he gets right into it. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And so he must have heard that they weren't. Maybe they needed this slap in the face, right? Coming to church saying, oh, I've got so, so many heavy things going on in my life. And James said, yeah, that'd be great. You know, you should come to church really excited about that. If we were, we would sing things like, I wrote this little song for myself, Joy in the World, right? Let's play on Joy to the World. Joy in the world, my trial has come. Let Jean receive its sting. Right, wouldn't that be great? Somebody asks you, hey, how are you doing today? Well, I'm, let me sing it. My life's a musical right now. <laughs> Joy to, you know, and stuff. But we don't do that. We, we get a heavy face. I'm like, well, I'm... I'm okay. I'll be fine. Really, what's going on? I don't want to burden you. The apostle Peter understood that the believers he was writing to were grieved by trials. But he immediately told them the purpose of the trial was to refine them as a refiner refines gold in the furnace. He told them rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Are you going through what you consider a hard time? James said, you know, count it all joy. And Peter said, I mean, real joy, inexpressible joy. Believers in Christ enjoy fellowship with their Lord. And one particular kind of fellowship we learn in Philippians is the fellowship of his suffering. The surviving members of the undefeated 1972 Miami Dolphins would, every season, I don't know if they're still doing this, but they would gather to drink champagne when the final undefeated team earned its first loss of the year because then they knew their record was safe. Uh, or they would send a case of champagne to the team that beat that team. And as far as I know, from uh, checking the greatest source of information in the world, Wikipedia, <laughs> they remain the only undefeated NFL team uh, throughout a season. 16 wins, I believe it was, or 14. Must have been, was it 14? 12 in the regular season and two in the postseason. Then they won their first four uh, games in the following season, but that doesn't count. Uh, and so we say they are an exclusive club or group, right? I mean, there's only those guys, and, and they know what it was like. They were there, and no one else can break into that. The fellowship of the Lord's sufferings is like that. Only a Christian who has suffered can, can understand what it's like to share those sufferings with the Lord and to share actually his sufferings, you come through it knowing more about being undefeated by the world. The Lord shows you why it is that you are able to rise above that and, and roll that onto him and go forward in your walk. Like Job before us, we want to be able to declare, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you. In other words, I thought I knew a lot about you, but now I know a lot about you because we have suffered together. The Apostle Paul suffered from a long-term illness or disability. He called it the thorn in his flesh. 
He let Jesus carry him, saying, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So essentially, Jesus said, no, I'm not going to heal you. I mean, get right down to it. Paul said, I've got this thorn in the flesh. We think it might have been that eye disease that I showed you a picture of when the last time this came up. It's awful. I mean, he looks like a zombie or something, ophthalmalia. But we don't know exactly what it was, but it was obvious and it was physical. And, and Paul prayed. He said, Lord, this is hindering me. I don't like it. It's a burden. He says, no, it's not. In fact, it's a gift. I'm giving it to you and quit talking to me about it. Paul said, I prayed three times and that was it because the Lord told me he wasn't going to heal me. And you know what? I didn't get bitter about it. I got better. I got excited because the Lord had done this for me and was talking to me about it. And so I'll boast in my infirmities. I've used this illustration many times. It's just too good not to. You remember that scene in Jaws when Quint and Hooper and Brody are down below in the orca and they start comparing wounds to see, they want to boast about who has the, the greatest wound. And finally, Hooper started pointing to his heart. He talked about the girlfriend that broke his heart, you know, in high school or whatever and stuff. Meanwhile, Brody is looking at his appendix scar, you know, because he's got no wounds at all. And so, you know, we, in a sense, not that we go around boasting about our wounds, but think of, again, Paul the Apostle. Uh, I mean, man, if that guy ever took his shirt off in front of you, he, how many times was he beaten with rods and scourged by, by the Romans? Uh, you know, left for dead. Uh, he was, a, you know, by all definition, a crooked old man. He looked like he had a disease, but it was because of his, the hardships of his life. And he says, I boast in that. I'm, I'm not going to boast in my, you know, my own strength. I'm going to boast in my weakness. There was something about him that you didn't desire him, you didn't even want to listen to him. The church at Corinth, you know, they, they preferred other orators. But when Paul the Apostle spoke, when he taught the word of God, there was a spiritual transaction that took place. God ministered to people through him. And to a certain extent, it was, it was like one of those, how can God do this things? Who is this little man with a long nose and a crooked body and, and who keeps surviving these beatings that would kill a normal man and these shipwrecks and all these other things. And, and there was a spiritual connection with the Lord that, that only he could give by his anointing. The apostle Peter was told by Jesus, when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird and carry you where you don't wish to go. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoke this, he said to him, follow me. The church fathers say that Peter was crucified in Rome about 34 years after that was said, with his head downward. He was crucified upside down. One eyewitness reported, he died not as the philosophers did, but with a firm hope of heaven, patiently enduring the pangs of the cross. The Bible knowledge commentary reads, as Jesus followed the Father's will, so his disciples should follow their Lord, whether the path leads to a cross or to some other difficult experience. Sometimes I feel sorry for believers who have no trials. I know it sounds maybe even mean. I don't pray that you would have trials. It's okay. You can still ask me to pray for you. I mean, we're not, you know, I won't do that. Unless you pray for patience, then I'm obligated to, because that's what, you know. But uh, I do. I feel sorry. You know, there are some people you think, wow, they're, they're so not getting it. They're so shallow. They're so, you know, Lord, 
a good trial would, would put them on track. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, great Bible uh, teacher, was invited to go hear a young preacher speak one time who was all the rage. He went and heard him, and his friend who invited him said, well, what did you think? Is he, is he worth the hype? And uh, Morgan, G. Campbell Morgan said his, his message was great, wonderful preaching, uh, but it'll be better when he suffers a little because it'll have a depth to it that it doesn't have now. It's got all the intellect. It's got all the points, you know. It's got all the things that a Bible study has except some passion because that's a person who's suffered. Now, I hope you're not upset with me about ruining footprints in the sand for you. My version does extol the single set belonging to Jesus. It just says more about the second set. Christians always want a practical application. They always want something to do, right? Here's something you can do that would stay in the, in the wheelhouse, and that is carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. That's Galatians 6.2 in the NIV. Carry one another's burdens. And so if you're sitting here thinking about burdens and you know, whether Jesus is carrying you or the wheelchair and all the stuff we're talking about, uh, just look at others and say, hey, I'm, I want to do for others. I, I just, you know, it, that's kind of the gist of it. I just want to do for others. Maybe I should quit worrying so much about the situation I'm in. Maybe I should really just wait on the Lord and say, Lord, okay, I'm going I'm to let you wheel me around. We're going a little bit too fast or a little bit too slow right now. I don't even like the direction, the sun's in my eyes or the sun's, behind, you know, I don't like anything about it, but you're in charge. I'm going to let you deal with that. Meanwhile, so-and-so at church or on the phone or at work or whatever told me about this, and I want to help them bear that burden and um, do it. If you're not a believer, I'd like you to perk up just for this last few minutes. Here's some scripture for you. Isaiah 53, 11, by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many bearing their iniquities. Hebrews 9.28, Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. You need a sin bearer. You are crushed under the weight of your own sins. If you don't believe you are, it's even worse. It's like your appendix has burst. You know, they talk about that, oh, it's killing me. Do you ever, which side is your appendix on? Does anybody know? Right? My right or your right? <laughs> Every time I get a pain in my side, oh, my appendix, my appendix. It's never my appendix. Oh, not so far. But anyway, but then, you, you know, the, 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 the thing is your appendix, and then all of a sudden it quits hurting, right? Hey, I'm all right. No, you're going to die. Because it just blew up inside and it's starting to fester and turn septic and you're going to go green and it's going to be awful. But anyway, and so maybe you think, well, I'm not burdened. I'm, I'm living a great life. I don't need Jesus. Well, you're like a person whose appendix has burst. Your life is going to be poisoned. You are a sinner. We're, we are, I remain a sinner. Everybody here is a sinner. We just happen to be sinners saved by grace. And, and you can be one too because the Lord bore your sins, and, and he's the only one that can. If you want to bring your sins to heaven, it's not going to work. Just like an unbeliever to bring sins to a grace fight, right? That kind of a thing. And so you need the Lord. Oswald Chambers writes, God made his own son to be sin, that he might make the sinner a saint. All through the Bible, it is revealed that our Lord bore the sins of the world by identification, not by sympathy, 
He deliberately took upon his own shoulders and bore in his own person the whole massed sin of the human race. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And by doing so, he put the whole human race on the basis of redemption. Jesus is the savior of all men, especially those who believe. Believe God, he will declare you righteous.